Welcome to the New Stories Podcast, Season 3. Good morning, everybody listening in on the podcast, and good morning to Chris and Candace, our college counselors who are joining us for a really timely discussion as one of the conversations buzzing in schools everywhere is around the college process, college choices, college decisions, and that's what we will censor in our conversation today. So before we jump off, I'd love for Chris and Candace to introduce yourselves, tell us your name, pronouns, titles, role at Sandy Spring, how long you've been with us, anything you want to tell us as we head into this conversation. Let's start with Chris and then we'll go Candace. Hey everybody, Chris Miller. I use he, him pronouns. This is my fifth year at Sandy Spring. I'm the director of college counseling. i help advise the Black Student Affinity Group. I'm one of the faculty leaders for our Quaker Youth Leadership Group, and I like sports. <laughs> hey everyone, I am Candace Ashton. I use she, her pronouns. This is my seventh year here at Sandy Spring. And so in addition to being the Associate Director of College Counseling, I am currently serving as the Co-Interim Director of the Office of Institutional Equity, Justice, and Belonging, and I am the Upper School Testing Coordinator. It's so wonderful to have y'all on this podcast and in our community, and I always think the story of how folks got to Sandy Spring is an interesting story. I would love for y'all, especially as folks who specialize in school selection and vetting schools, how do you vet us and find your way to us? Sure. So I am a native Washingtonian, a little bit of a unicorn. We're a rare breed. And I went to an independent school, National Cathedral School in D.C. So I've been familiar with Sandy Spring for a lot of years. I was working in public charter schools in D.C. at a school that was very big on the post-secondary experience, right? So not every student is going to college. It's about finding what that right fit for that student is. If you want to be an electrician, let's get you in an apprenticeship program. If you want to go to college, let's get you into college. As I was looking for my next challenge, I was ready to move back into the independent school space and looking for a school that sort of had those values, right? That we are looking to do what is best for the student, whatever that may be. We recognize that each child is an individual and we want to foster that individuality. So I came, I met the kids. It was the only place where I interviewed with students, which was a huge deal for me. And they were phenomenal. So yeah, that's why I chose Andy Spring. Mm, Our students do give a great interview for sure. (laughs) Yeah, they got their questions. Yes. yes. <laughs> Chris, how about you? Yeah, I first want to say I'm glad Candace named herself as a unicorn because I think when I first moved to the DC area, I always asked myself, is anyone from here? Everyone's yes. from someplace else. <laughs> and so, yeah, so when I actually do meet people who are DC natives, I'm like, oh, okay, there are generations of people who live in DC. But yeah, so how did I get to Sandy Spring? I'm originally from Jersey, but, but I actually went to a Quaker school myself outside of Philadelphia. So when I thought that I might want to work in K-12 schools, I never really thought I would actually end up in a Quaker school. But it always sounded like a good idea. And then when I moved down to DC area, I just so happened to move to Aspen Hill and didn't realize at that time that I was going to be 10 minutes away from Sandy Spring. And so I worked at a couple of different schools, independent schools in the area. And then eventually this opportunity came up and, and it just, the timing was just right. And so I have a strong affinity for, for Quaker education, being a product of one myself. And it's just exciting to be here. Awesome. It's glad to have you all here. You both have been so positively impactful in so many parts of our community. 
And your school's motto comes from the Quaker saying, let your life speak. And I'm wondering how you chose college counseling as your way to let your life speak. Where does your passion for that come from? I actually did a work study job in college, single mom, first gen. So working in college was what I had to do. Work study was in the admissions office. And I became the student director of minority recruitment at college while majoring in econ and poli sci and realizing that I did not want to be an economist. When I graduated, was really looking for something more people-centered. My sister-in-law was in education and had sent me a couple of job opportunities. And again, I went to interview, loved it, started actually working in middle school doing high school placement. So helping students like myself who went to public elementary schools figure out which high schools to go to. But middle schoolers are challenging and probably weren't my demographic. And so rotated up to high school and found my people. It is amazing to watch young people discover for their home for the next four years, to help them think about things about themselves that they've never considered, to see themselves in a way, to think about themselves critically. But also, I think a lot of what we do is teaching kids to have grace with themselves, to have compassion for themselves, to understand the ways in which they're unique and what they bring to a community. And most times, kids are just going to school, they're waking up, they're doing their thing, they're going to sleep. So a large part of college counseling is encouraging kids to, to have that introspective lens. And it's great. It's great to watch them grow through the process. It's great to watch their skills. A lot of the skills they use in the process are skills that they'll continue to use throughout their lives. And so really found my passion and found my home in college counseling. Chris, how about you? How'd you end up letting your life speak through college counseling? Yeah, I'm listening to a little bit of what Candace said, and it's definitely not too far off. When I thought I might work in schools, I didn't think it would be college counseling. I thought it'd be teaching like English, history, coaching, the more traditional paths. But when I took my first job out of college, it was working in a college admission office. And for those years that were great, working as an admission officer and helping students navigate the college process. From that perspective, I found that I wasn't necessarily forming the longer lasting relationships that I really enjoyed most about the profession. And then realized that maybe I was better suited in a school where I could build more substantive relationships with students and their parents and, and really help them grow and really understand not just what it takes to get into college, but how to be successful over a longer period of time. And then there was another piece of it where I just felt like there were so many things that I learned after the fact that I wish someone told me when I was in high school and I said, oh, maybe I should spread that gospel and share that with other people. And once I transitioned into college counseling, even when I had those moments of maybe I should go to the classroom or maybe I should do more coaching or other things, it, it just kept staying with me. And I really found that it was a good place for me to do my best work, working with students and, and helping them really take the most advantage of their high school experience, but then also do well once they graduate from high school. So from our sample size of two, I'm gathering nobody puts on their high school vision board, college counselor as the destination. And yet people come to independent schools in large part for the college counseling. And so I'm thinking about what is the role of the college counselor? I can remember as a parent, my kid was class of 2015. So over 10 years ago, starting the college process with their independent school college counselor. And in my mind, and in so many parents' minds, the role of the college counselor is to get the kid into college. Is that what it is? 
people are very gracious and thankful for the support that we give. And they're like, thank you for helping me get into college. And I always say, you're the one that did all the hard work, right? What we do is provide guidance, information, our knowledge of the trends, our knowledge of pathways and opportunities. I think so much of the college counseling process is the counseling part. It is a lot of working with families and students. What is your goal? What is the outcome you're looking for? What are your priorities? Again, things that families often don't think about, right? I also think it's about opening up families to the world of possibilities. One of the things that's great about Sandy Spring in particular is Every year we have students looking internationally. Every year we have students looking at gap years. Every year we have students looking at any number of the 4,000 colleges and universities in the United States. The average person could probably only name 20 or 30 colleges, right? To know that there are 10 times more than that. It is providing people with the right questions to ask themselves, the right information to make decisions, to help families place themselves in the landscape of college, to make them aware of what tools and resources, which human resources, right, us as counselors, but additional tools and resources are available to them, I think is the biggest part of it. The getting people into college is the work of the student, right? Gets you into college is your effort, your academic path, who you are as an individual, where you fit in the community that the college is trying to build. That's what gets you into college. Now, do colleges know Sandy Spring and its reputation and the rigor of its academics? A hundred percent, right? So your choice in high school does affect what your opportunities in college are. Uh, But just going to high school isn't enough. It is really the work that you do as a student that gets you into college. So I appreciate that answer. And I'm going to go back to dating myself. I was in this process as a parent 10 years ago, in this process as a person over 20 years ago. And the college landscape has changed in both those periods of time, especially even in the past five years. I can remember sitting with my son, he wrote down a list and I said, not good enough. (laughs) I need to see this name on the list. At the end of it, he was choosing between Vassar and Morehouse. And our independent schools were not as adept at talking with our kids about HBCUs. And now we have a VP from an HBCU. That scene has changed. I remember shelling out some dough for some uh, college testing prep courses (laughs) and saying the score better be good now. And now we've come into a test optional situation. So I'm thinking, how is this college landscape different from what it was even five years ago? What should parents and students be focusing on now in the process that the parents who went through it when I went through it would not have known about? That's a big question. It's a big question. You're right, because so much has changed. I think I think you were you were starting to even just touch on the piece with the testing and how you know, it, it almost felt like back when, when we were all considering college, it, it seemed a little bit more if you had this GPA, if you had these grades, if you had this test score, you could better predict where you might get into, or it might even seem a little bit more targeted in terms of just, I'm going to go here. I got these grades. I'm just going to put these applications out. I think that that the conversation around college was always about finding the place where you feel most comfortable. I think that it's even more that place now. I think also 
the the world has gotten smaller in the sense that there's more options i think even readily accessible and i think students and parents in some respects feel a little bit more of a comfort. You have kids who make connections now with their peers all over the place. It doesn't necessarily seem as foreign of a concept to not just look at another part of the country, but even look at another part of the world and 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 have these this diversity of experiences because I think more students now can experience more outside of their home region and just think that I just have to go to my state school or stay within two hour, a two-hour driving distance and they can be more free thinking and more imaginative in their college search. So I think even from five years ago and definitely from 20 years ago, there's a much wider landscape and that parents, students can embrace earlier and start to really play with these ideas of what's possible and not just, I have to go here for this reason. I would also say, particularly post-pandemic, colleges really are doing a holistic read really are looking at all the parts of the student because they don't have scores for every applicant. So they've got to look at the things that they are getting. And so a lot of what's changed is a move to a strength-based approach to college applications and college selection. I think what parents need to look at more than getting the right test score is what are your students' strengths and how do you foster those? How do you feed those? What are your students' curiosities? What are the things they're interested in? And really fostering and feeding those things. It used to be this GPA, this test score, yes. This GPA, this test score, no. And so now that that's no longer the case at most places, there are still those places, it's how do you highlight what is strong about your student, what makes your child unique, what are the opportunities they're taking advantage of? I think that is a real consideration for parents. Obviously, college is school, so the academics are number one, but where does your child really shine and how can you increase opportunities for your child to shine without pressuring them tears? I was going to just underscore this point that Candace just brought up with, when Candace was talking about strengths-based assessments, there's just so many more ways that colleges have the chance to get to know a kid. When we were applying, we were just on the cusp of, of writing applications by hand or typing or using something digital, right? Now, because the digital age is here, we're living in it, the students can apply in the traditional sense of fill out these applications and write an essay, or I can do a portfolio. I can do a video interview, right? I can create a website that shows and highlights all these talents I have. So there's lots more nuance to how a student can say, this is who I am. And this is how I can best express myself because I might not be good at putting myself in words, but if you give me 30 seconds or 60 seconds and show you my life, you can really get to know me and see why I can be a good fit for your school. Chris, you were in my mind that word fit has been rolling around in this conversation. And one of the questions that has emerged for me as I reflect on my own experiences with college counseling is this idea of fits and how that may also have changed how folks choose their fit, how folks determine their fit, what fit means for this generation versus previous generations. Thinking about when I applied to college, we couldn't afford college visits. So I applied to colleges without having visited them before applying, right? What I was looking at for fit was what's the name behind this? What do I know about this college that pretty much everybody else knew as a first gen? And then I'm watching my son. We went to several colleges, even ones that I'm like, you probably won't like this one, but we need to know <laughs> so we can determine what you do like. And in this era, how do students determine fit? 
So one of the seniors here went on a visit and came back and said the vibes were off. And while her mother was like, no, that's not an answer. I understood what she meant. I think what I tell students all the time is if you want to go to college, we can find you a college. The question is, can we find you one that where you can be happy and healthy? Because what we know is unhappy people are not successful people. So I think it is about, are these your people? Can you see yourself making friends? Can you see yourself participating in the life of this college? And that's so much of college happens outside the classroom, right? Kids' minds are blown when they realize one student was like, yeah, I don't know if I can do eight to three anymore. And I was like, who is in class from eight to three in college? What is happening? Are you in here? I don't understand. And so when they realize how little class time you actually spend in college, um, all those other things become important. Certainly how you learn is important and what's happening in the classroom. That is obviously paramount. But all the other stuff, right? Are you a cold weather person? Are you a warm weather person? Are you someone who wants a lot of clubs and activities? Coming from Sandy Spring, we hear a lot of times, like, I want a football team and I want this. And I like the life of the university is so important to fit. And it, it just makes up so much of the experience that I, I always want to be sure that families don't ignore it because you can get a good education a lot of places. There are a lot of places to get a good education. Like I said, almost 4,000 colleges and universities in the United States. But to have a great experience is a much more specific thing. Yeah, and, and there's just so many more ways to vet colleges now. Ronnie, you gave the example of when you were thinking of visits with your son and figuring out where you wanna go and how far you might wanna go and if it fits in the schedule and, and going based on just either reputation or what you heard from somebody else. Now, especially as a result of the pandemic and the ability to actually go and see colleges being shut down for a while, there's so much more information available to students on the web about a school before they even get there. You can actually do a virtual tour. You can actually see what the buildings look like, or even like how we have our students do like a day in like the Sandy Spring. You can do that with colleges where you have students who mm -hmm. can give either a live or a more on-demand tour. You can walk around and, and see the people and try to imagine yourself. It, it still does not take the place of you being on the campus. And what did the students say? Getting the vibe. It doesn't replace you walking in the library or the cafeteria or just sitting in the student lounge and going, yeah, these are my people or these aren't my people. But at least being able to just, just put a face to the name of the school and see, okay, this is how the kids dress, or this is what the ambiance kind of looks like before I say, mom, dad, take me to California, or I really think I might want to check out schools in England, but I've already done a couple of virtual tours and read all this stuff online and did a couple of info sessions. And now I have a better idea of, yeah, this works for me, or, or this school is too small for me, or it feels too large for me. So that's one thing that has really changed is you can, you saw it changing over the last 10 years, accelerated in the last three in terms of what kinds of information you can find about schools before you actually go and, uh, and do the more personalized research that you only get from meeting people on campus. I also think schools are more aware of the sort of, like Chris said, the world is shrinking, right? So applicant pools are more geographically diverse and schools will fly admitted students out, right? So if you're an admitted student, you live in your 
Carleton College, let's say that's in Minnesota, they'll fly a kid out if the finances warrant it, right? And so I think that's the other piece as college continues to get more and more expensive. That's a resource that families really need to think about too, is not just how you're going to pay for it, but also asking for what you need. I think that's a place where we still struggle talking about finances with people and being open and honest about that. But also if you can't afford it, it's not a fit. So so you've got to ask for what you need and see if a school can give that to you. Yeah. Yeah. Financial fit. That's a real term that folks need to familiarize themselves with. There's academic, there's a social, there's a personal but there is a family financial fit that, that students and parents have to have conversations about. It brings up the question of how are people affording college? Now we're speaking from an independent school that costs $40,000 a year. So we can back that question up and say, how are people affording <laughs> high school, <laughs> right? In New York, they're wondering how are people affording kindergarten? So education, <laughs> private education is expensive. But just thinking when I graduated Harvard, our tuition may have been 30,000. I think my son's tuition was 50, 55 at Vassar when he graduated. We're looking now at 70, 75. So it's ramped up pretty quickly and not necessarily kept up with inflation. We're wondering how are people affording it? To Candace's point, what are some tips that people need to know now when the college tuition is easily more than most people's annual salaries? So I went to a counselor visit to Muhlenberg. So colleges will invite counselors out to see their school, learn about their school. And it's pretty cool, actually. It helps us figure out who the student is that would be good there. And I had breakfast with the director of financial aid there. And one of the things he talked about, which I knew intellectually, but just hadn't really articulated, was the difference between consumer debt, like the role that consumer debt plays in paying for education. Colleges never think about consumer debt. They're never, if you've got $10,000, $15,000 in credit card debt, if you just bought a car, colleges don't care. That's personal. And so one of the things that he talked about was how you save and where you save. So he was saying, it's better to pay off your consumer debt because If you don't have any consumer debt, all the debt you have is considered in your financial aid. If you have a mortgage, if you have your own educational debt, we factor that in to your need, but we're not going to factor your car note into your need. And so work on paying that down and then start saving for college versus if you have consumer debt and college savings, we're going to take all your college savings and you still don't have consumer debt to pay off. So I thought that was, I was like, yes. That makes sense. (laughs) Ideally, you're doing both, right? Consumer debt piece, I think, is one that that most people don't consider as they're building, getting closer and closer to college. And it's something that does and doesn't make sense. As you're saying that, I'm thinking, and this is how cycles of poverty and inequity are perpetuated because folks who can't pay off their consumer debt, most of them are using debt to pay off necessary life expenses. And so we just keep cycling around. Candace mentioned earlier too, the importance of asking for what you need. And one tip that we try to remind families of is that yes, while most of the focus on going to college is how do I get in, right? A lot of families or students tend to not utilize the Office of Financial Aid or Student Financial Assistance as early as they might want to or they should be doing. And they're a resource. So if at the point when a student might be interested in a particular school, whether that's ninth grade or 10th grade, before they get to 11th grade, when it's really in front of them, 
they should call that office and have a conversation. There's lots of tools that colleges put on their financial aid websites to try to help the student not just understand the process of applying to college, but what it might cost that family to go to that particular school. To Candace's example with Muhlenberg, they may have factors that they consider that Lafayette down the street might not consider, and, or they might have scholarships or institutional aid and resources available there that another school might not. So you should explore all those different facets of their websites and see what resources are there and how much it might apply to you. I think the other thing too, and this is one of the things that I didn't necessarily think about, like I said, those tips, things I wish people told me, like you know, when I was in high school, was that a lot of times students and parents go into looking for the big bang, right? I got to get $200,000 paid for before I leave high school. I got to get all $300,000 right up front. And, and that's how I'm going to get through college. And really, you need to think of it as a year-to-year -year basis, right? When a financial aid package is delivered to a student, it's truly with the understanding that this is what it's going to cost for you the first year. And should your circumstances stay the same, you'll be eligible for the same awards every single year. But the better you do in school once you get to college, the more age you could be eligible for in your sophomore year, in your junior year. There are plenty of scholarship opportunities that are going to be available to students as they move through college that aren't going to be available to them once they come out of high school. So you also have to think that the affordability doesn't just when you get to college, but there's a lots of opportunities that students need to pay attention to while they're in school, once they pick their major, once they define what leadership opportunities they want to take advantage of, because there's lots of people out there who want to invest in students that might be interested in equestrian or veterinary studies or who are avid outdoors people or who are into sustainability. And all of those things add up to then those stories you hear when you say, oh, this student got $3 million in financial aid because they hustled and kept looking for these different things as they went through college each year to then come out with as little debt as possible. And like I said, if you also just keep doing well in school this semester, then there's going to be other opportunities that the college will have available too. I got a scholarship for being left-handed. Uh, <laughs> but I, I, you mentioned right at the end, Chris, student debt. And I think nobody wants to come out of undergrad with $80,000 in debt. But I do want to clarify, there is a difference between federal debt, federal student debt, and private loans. And it is appropriate for students to invest in themselves by taking out federal loans, right? There are some schools that are no loan schools, but most schools, your aid package will have some element of federal loans. Those are capped, right? So the federal government's not letting you borrow $10,000, $20,000 a year. Those loans are capped to make them reasonable for paying back. It's once we get into those private loans, right? Those lenders that are not the federal government, where we start to get into trouble, where we start to get interest rates that are not affordable, where we start to, to, to your point, the poverty cycles, right? We're going to school to get jobs so we can pay for school. Those are the private loans. The federal loans, I, most everyone I know, and I grew up in Southeast DC, so there is some geographic economic issues, but most everyone I know has federal student loans. And those aren't, when we hear those horror stories, that's not what we're talking about. We are talking about those private loans. So I do think it's important for families to make that distinction. And of course, we're, and we're tiptoeing on the edge of a political conversation with the loans and the environment of college loans and what's an acceptable amount and what you want to graduate with. And even that has shifted through generations. When we were going through college, it was nothing to sign for your loans. That was almost right. like a part of the process. And now 
we, I feel, but correct me if I'm wrong, we're counseling more and more families of if you have a loan-free option to go for it. And I'm thinking of even on the parent side, my son had gotten a full scholarship to Morehouse and not a full one to Vassar. (laughs) (laughs) And ended up choosing Vassar. And I was like, okay, we're going to do this. So thinking about what is the amount of money you want to have due when you graduate college based on what you're planning to do afterwards. And it is a personal choice. I think that is a place where we are as counsel. We can advise you, we can offer up suggestions, but again, that's a personal choice based on where your values are lying, right? And what your wallet says. We don't spend other people's money. If it is a choice that you can afford and you're in a place where you say to your student, These are both viable options. You make the choice that is best for you. That's great. Not everybody's in that place. And so money does become the determining factor often. And that's okay too, because Morehouse and Vassar both give degrees. Good good ones. (laughs) You're not going to find better ones. Absolutely. One of our alums, young alums, who's actually a freshman at Morehouse, he was back over over the break. I saw him and he was like something. I'm a Morehouse man. And I was like, oh, Lord, they already started you. <laughs> <laughs> As we center these two iconic colleges who historically couldn't be more different in the demographics that they were founded to serve. It gets to my next question, which is in this generation, which is so I call them identity rich in that they mm-hmm. have the privilege of exploring their identities much earlier of looking at and understanding the multiplicity of identities. And in our generation, we waited until college to do that, if we did it then, right? Now they're doing it as early as elementary, middle, and definitely by high school. And so what they're looking for to connect with in college as a part of themselves feels very different. And I'm thinking about my kid again, who was deciding between his feminist leanings and his New England liberal leanings, and then being a Black man in America, right? And so then you have Vassar on the one hand, and you have Morehouse on the other. And there are moments that we'll sit at the dinner table and he's like, what would it have been if I had gone to Morehouse? There's still a part of him that goes, I had to choose a piece of myself. Didn't find a place that had all of me. We help this generation of identity-rich folks choose the identity or identities you really want to center in your college experience that not any college is going to be everything to all people, even though some of them try to sell you that. (laughs) The era we're coming out of politically with COVID, I think students are making that choice for themselves. I think we have seen certainly a rise in our students applying to HBCUs. I don't have any Black students who aren't considering at least one or two. And it's been that way for the last couple of years. I think in some ways the world is making that choice for students. Mm -hmm. I think in some ways the world is telling kids who they are and they're getting the message. I think in other ways, what is unique about Sandy Springs students is they're like, okay, I'm going to go and I'm going to be my whole self and people will make space for it. And they have confidence in that. Yeah, it's hard. And I don't, and I don't think that's lost on the colleges either. I think they notice it and different schools, just like in K through 12 are at different places on the spectrum in terms of how they are ready to deal with their, the plurality of their populations. But yeah, I think one of the things that, you know, that we, at least at Sandy Spring do is because as a Quaker institution, we, we tend to focus on the practice of reflection from the earliest ages all the way till the time that they graduate. And so students really reflect on their 
experience up to this point as they start to look into into what place might be the best place for them after they graduate. I think that what we'll continue to see, I think Candace certainly started with this with this idea is that students are going to continue to be more affirmed as they come through high school than I think we've ever seen in prior generations and and just catch up as history always tells us that young people tend to do. I'm thinking too about life and education beyond college. Help us understand this generation and how it's different from previous ones. For my remembrance <laughs> in our generation, you went to college and that was actually a really great thing, right? And that was a competitive edge. It feels like now folks are looking at college as one of the steps towards graduate school and graduate school has become the competitive edge because so many folks, which is wonderful in the world of education, are getting college degrees. Thinking about, I've got a group of 10 or 12 really close friends. I finished my doctorate. I did a dissertation committee for two of them. I've got one of them who is in a doctorate program now and two of them who are applying to doctorate programs. This would have been unheard of generations ago. And so how has that changed? Let me check that assumption. And if so, how is that changing the way folks are looking at college if now grad school has become the new competitive edge? Students and parents are much more focused or keened in on how much debt you have coming out of undergrad because the intention is to go to grad school. Whereas before, like you said, once you got to college, if you took out $20,000 in loan to get through school, not that big of a deal. That might be the last degree you earn. But if you're like, no, you're going to go and get an advanced degree or two or three advanced degrees. Because you think of triple majoring in college or double majoring and having multiple minors is one thing. You have grad programs that now you can get like your MBA and your JD because the world has become so fluid in terms of the careers you might be able to, you might be able to do. And I think that's a shift that that we've seen play out a lot more is you have students getting more hands-on experience in careers earlier. That's what leading the thing. I definitely want to get a business degree before I, I stop anything, or I definitely want to get a law degree, or I want to get a master's in this because I've had the exposure. I think that's going to continue to grow. And, and if anything, the world of entrepreneurship is going to continue to expand and grow societally, given just all the things that are available to students now. And that's Part of what I think elevates this whole conversation of having higher forms of education as you move through life, because we all know that the more education you have, the just the better your foundation is going to be as you move through life. I think it's also important to note with this generation that they also don't necessarily feel that college is the end all be all, right? I think they are more aware than anyone that there are multiple paths. I see some of them sort of launching businesses in high school or in college and really leveraging their skills and their passions much younger than, than we felt like we could. And I think that's another piece of it. In my house, it was you graduate high school, you go to college. What else is there to talk about? And that is just not the way they see the world. And I think it's great for them. I love hearing the stories about what they're doing with their gap year or so many Many of our students travel abroad and they're meeting up with each other and they're doing these cool internships or these co-op years. And so I think that's the other piece. In addition to, to graduate school, they understand that college is a step and that sometimes it's the step you take right now. It's the next step. Sometimes it's the third step from here, but there are other things after and around college. It also makes me wonder, like, I think we all have that conversation of 
wow, you guys have so much. It would be so cool to go to school now. And I sometimes think, yeah, but there are so many options. I think I would be frozen with, what do I do? Mm -hmm. So we get some time with the kids as they come and they're just like, I'm interested in so many things. I don't know what to choose. And we try to encourage them to take their time and, and explore it all. But it almost feels like it was simpler to just say, you go to college. No, you mm -hmm. go to this college. You just make decisions yeah. for me. The other benefit of the increased focus on grad school is that you can really focus on undergrad in developing yourself as a person, figuring out what kind of adult you want to be, knowing that, you know, you have these professional opportunities with grad school to really explore your profession, your career goals. And um, that those goals may change, right? We're in a generation where they'll have more than one career, right? The days of being 25 years in one place, gone. <laughs> As everyone in this Zoom can yeah. attest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I'm hearing in this some advice to parents who are going through or about to go through or will go through this process with their current students. And one thing I'm hearing right now is the roadmap that we may have used when we were their age has changed. Yeah. And we can't assume and try to overlay the environment that we were searching for colleges in with the one that they are searching for colleges in. It's a much more expansive universe of universities now. And also to Candace's point of options beyond the university now that just were not as accessible when we were students ourselves. Um, the other piece of advice that I'm thinking about as we dug into graduate school and my son now to wrap his story up is applying to graduate schools right now. And I made it clear and I pass this on to all parents, graduate school is on you. <laughs> 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 Our obligation is through college and then you figure your way. <laughs> yeah, that is true. <laughs> and they are not afraid to give out loans to grad students. I'll tell no. you that. <laughs> no, no, no. private ones at that. <laughs> <laughs> so love to close this conversation with just what is the advice you would give out of all that we've talked about and maybe even some things we didn't to the current group of students and families who are searching for colleges in this current environment? I think we've hit on it quite a bit. I think that you certainly st started to wrap it up with what you just said, Rodney, is you really do have to be open-minded these days or more open-minded than you thought you would have to be. There's so much information just available, right? The internet information highway, and now it's almost the information galaxy that you have out there that you get hit with so many things all at once. Did you never know when the opportunity that is going to suit you is gonna come? Be patient, find, find your rhythm, go at your own pace. But when you're talking with, I'll just say student to parent, guardian to parent, guardian to student, just be open-minded and listen to each other and, and don't turn away opportunities at first glance just because you're unfamiliar with it. When something comes to you, take your time, read the information, vet the source, talk to someone because there actually might be some nugget of opportunity that's available to you. And then when you do learn more about it, you might then realize that school or that the internship or this particular program that someone told me about, it really does speak to me in a way that I didn't think it would. I would also say there's so much focus on what you want to do in looking for a college, and there probably should be more focus on who you want to be. Undecided is the most popular major in college. 
<laughs> everybody's changing their major two, three times. And so really what families and students should be thinking about is who do you want to be? What is the community you want to be a part of? Unless there is some specific aeronautical engineering that only five schools offer, it's really about helping you become the person you want to be. And so spending time investing in that I think is going to make the search go smoother and also make you happier with your choices in the end and really give you options because I know schools can tell they're looking for a fit the same way you're looking for a fit and your ability to communicate why you're a fit at a school is paramount. And so you can't really do that unless you know what you want from that school. You can get a good education a lot of places by us is really what colleges are looking for. Well, on those notes, thank you all for this conversation this morning. Lots of folks are talking colleges and college counseling right now, but I think we had a conversation this morning that included a lot of pieces folks are not thinking about, and I appreciated the nuances y'all brought and all the work that you do. And in a couple of months, it'll be spring, and we'll see where this current group of Sandy Springers are going. It's always a big and wide and diverse and wonderful list. And so we always say, if we've got 75 graduates, we've got 50, 60 different places they're going. And that in and of itself is different than the college landscape when we were doing this. So thank y'all and I appreciate the conversation. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the New Stories Podcast.